and welcome to this latest episode of the Talking Heads podcast with me, Lucy Chamberlain. And me, Saul Walker. Now that autumn is making itself known to us, it seems a natural time to reflect on times past and look forward to new ventures ahead. So, with that in mind, we'd like to give a nod to these recent few months by simultaneously embracing what lies in front of us, both practically and at our respective gardens, and by assessing how this exciting industry that we've decided to devote our professional lives to is evolving and thriving. So many of us are showing this sector's true grit by quietly propagating new stock, dreaming up fresh initiatives, looking to new ways of working and generally supporting the trade. And our aim via this podcast is to muse on developments and showcase these horticultural heroes. We'll bring you two short 20-minute episodes each week, plus a longer bonus monthly interview. What more of a reason do you need to join us on this journey? Let's once again step into the busy and exciting world of the modern head gardener. Well, what a fabulous morning it is. It's a Sunday morning. We're coming to the end of my fabulous Essex road trip, the Talking Heads road trip, mini tour. The the first of many, hopefully. Fingers crossed we'll be doing one in Devon and then we'll be counting out all the other counties. Um, And we're sitting in what is just the most beautiful greenhouse. Now, Many people know about this greenhouse because we've gone on about it before, but this was built due to a legacy of one of your relatives. Yeah, my god, my godmother, Auntie Gwen. Mm. Yeah, yeah, she left me uh, in her in her will some money, and I've always wanted to have a greenhouse. And she allowed me to have the opportunity to 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 get a cedar greenhouse because the cedar wood is expensive, mm. but it lasts a very long time and it's very low maintenance as well, and it looks. Gorgeous as it ages, it's just starting to silver. You can see definitely on the outside. You can yeah. see the weather. The weather is it's beautiful when it silvers, though, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It's got absolutely gorgeous, and the smell as well. It's got a lovely smell to it, and it's um, I we I love it in here, and I I, I know that people who have listened to us before will understand that I I do love my greenhouse because I've I've referenced it a few times. A few times. But it's 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 a very special area because we we designed it ourselves and the local timber yard put it together for us we're under our spec and um so we've got a lot of uh, very narrow windows they're about 40 centimeters wide max to give that lovely sort of heritage style and the roof again the roof angle instead of the classic 30 which is what lots of modern greenhouses are this is a 45 degree roof angle which again gives that height and that kind of like stature to the building and then we've got a porch which was a bit of a nightmare to 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 um engineer onto the the house uh but we've done it uh, and yeah a porch with a lovely doorway and then Ian put down a a, a really nice block paving floor that only cost £100. I, I was going to say, the last time I was here, which was November of last year, you had a tarpaulin in it. <laughs> there was no floor in, the beds weren't in, there were no plants in it, obviously. And uh, coming here today, seeing it fully glazed, the beautiful block paving floor, I must say Ian's done an absolute treat there. And then, obviously, because we are in hashtag crazy tomato lady territory... <laughs> Lucy has got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight cordon tomatoes in here I of all it. different varieties, full of fruit, looking glorious in the sunshine. Some of them even above our heads now. The black cherry tomato has got a massive vigour to it, and actually that's right up into the eaves, along with a couple of cucumbers. I can say two very traily cucumbers that grow right into the eaves with some long fruits on them. Which varieties are these? We've got one's called Swing, and the other is Silor, and... Um, Silor in particular 
is uh, dripping with fruit. I'm looking up into the roof now and I can see at least three full-size cucumbers, another three smaller, and then on the main stem we've got one, because this is late in the season, the main stem is starting to produce little side shoots, so we've got another mature cucumber there, so we've got four. So if you, if you, when you're leaving, which is going to be in the next half hour or so, you are going to be having cucumbers stuffed into your luggage, oh, all right? Like, is it tzatziki? No, it's not. Is it is tzatziki, isn't it, with the cucumber? With the mint? Yeah. Is that right? I yeah. think, oh, I don't know. I think I'll, I'll be led on you on that. Any Greek listeners, let us know. Uh, and there are chilies and there are aubergines. And now there is also something else. We have a, I bought I Lucy a few new plants for her tropical corner. And I've got an in-flower uh, Hedicium Devon Cream, one of the ornamental gingers. And uh, along with the cedar smell, we have this intense ginger smell. And I'm hoping you're going to enjoy it. Oh, I've already shoved my nose in there a few times. And it's look, it looks lovely. Anything with a perfume to it. Like you say, if you get it in an enclosed space, it's... Oh, it's it, we walked in here this morning, opened up the door, and, and you could smell that. You've also given me a couple of colocasias, yeah, yeah. yeah, which I'm very excited to... Event, I won't get them into the ground this year. I think I'll leave them for the moment because we're in, we're in mid-September already. Yeah, I've given you a hardy one and, uh, and a tender one just to, just to try out the both. But um, yeah, I'm especially excited to see those going in. Yeah, well, and the sugar cane. Oh, the ornamental sugar cane. But then what I like about this, Sol, is that you've thought about these gifts because you know me and I like edible plants. So True. you've given me things that do have, as we said, the taro, the colocasia is edible the yeah. ginger the sugar cane um so oh hang on though no i better not start licking the brugmansia that's true i've given you a brugmansia as a little bit of an experiment because um you know they, they take a bit more growing but they're a bit more tender and you need to you need to know what you do with them and yeah they are slightly uh hallucinogenic a little bit more um there's so there's some potential alkaloids in there that could cause harm. something something for the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what they call it? We do have to make our own entertainment in Fingringo where we live. It's very quiet, so uh, I, I probably won't go to the level of licking the Brugmansia. I might uh, just stick to gardening. Thank you very much. But we're, we're sat here and. The sky is blue. The, the sun is obviously beaming down on us. The, the sunflowers are uh, looking towards us. I've got four central beds in this garden and they're packed full of sunflowers. They're all looking very cheery. Um, the leeks are bulking up quite nicely. My brassica cage just behind Oversaw's shoulder has got the purple sprouting, uh, Brussels sprouts, black Tuscan kale. Yeah, look at the Cavalanero, yeah. I know. Oh. It, it looks sumptuous, doesn't it? It's, 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 uh, it's a real potager-style plant, yeah. so I do, I do really like growing that. Um, so we are entering more of the autumn stage of the of a, the kitchen garden, but it's not, by no means empty. I've got some really uh, curvaceous uh, Swiss chard, one called um, Ford Hook Giant, I think the variety name is. White stems, green leaves, very bubbly foliage, like a Savoy texture in right. that sense. That's very very um, voluptuous. The agretti, my, <laughs> it's still going. <laughs> Sorry, but, what's you that? Know. Agretti? I've never heard of agretti. <laughs> That's still growing like crazy. I was talking to Matt Oller about this at yeah. High Tour yesterday because I'm I'm a massive fan of Agretti and he was also saying how good it is. Um, winter purslane I'm trying this year, which I think tastes of fresh pea pods. So I gave you some of that when you first arrived here on the yeah. Friday, didn't I? Yeah, it was very delicious. Very well, tasty. There was something else that uh, Matt showed us that I thought was quite interesting. Was that the one that was like a plantain? It was like a plantain, yes. Yes, yeah. We'll have to go back and check what the name yeah. of that was because that had a really unique... It was like a... a you were trying to... Inc- explain what it tastes like it's a little bit grassy but also citrusy yeah, a bit and of lemon in there but then a bit salty as well there's a little bit of saltiness it was almost really i like it when you taste a new crop that actually you struggle to describe the flavor of it because it is it's, its own yeah. standalone yeah. unique flavor and yeah. i i think 
you know so often we get something with in food you say oh it tastes a bit like chicken you know for example and and with in horticulture you're like oh it's a spinach substitute and you think well that's great but i grow spinach already with, with these things they actually are taste profile don't yeah, you? yeah yeah they're exciting new crops to try yeah Sorry. i was gonna say over your shoulder is the raspberries now we've had a few of those and we had we had a melon this weekend as well <laughs> and we thought it had gone over but it was perfect oh yeah. it's so tasty oh well the skin was looking quite yellow and i was like oh i think it may have gone a bit musty sometimes melons do when they're overripe get musty so i'd put it in the fridge to sort of try and halt the ripening and we had that with the autumn raspberries and um it was it was delicious juice packed flavor packed uh, the aromas and the perfume were wonderful so I'm, I'm really pleased that you got to enjoy that because melons are a quality over quantity plant i, I think um there are some varieties that do set a good amount of fruits but the, ma- the majority of them are quite shy to crop mm. so you were very privileged to have that melon i was very glad to serve up to you after a steak and chips meal of course uh, with steaks the size of <laughs> dinner plates I well i know your appetite and that did have a homegrown tomato popped on the top so there was an element of home was that tamond wasn't it that oh, was that the tamond beef steak delicious yeah, yeah definitely i'm definitely going to be growing those next year because they make great fried tomatoes with any kind of fried breakfast or steaks. I just made sure that we were sustained because we had a lot packed into the weekend and I didn't want this fading at any point. Well, we should talk about your tropical corner because I know most of this garden, or at least a third of this garden is all veg, but you have actually got this... Well, we visited Altingwick this uh, on Saturday, so... Mm. Oh, no, no, Friday, wasn't it? That was the Friday, yeah. We visited Altingwick on Friday a few days ago to see Philippa's exotic beds, and I think you really have taken to them because you've got your little Altingwick corner, haven't you? My homage to Altingwick. I, I, I hope Philippa's proud of me because when, when I worked with her in October... She very kindly gave me some mensetis and some plectranthus, uh, the Nicotiana glauca and a persicaria, which is, is again, it's a very compact persicaria, but it's actually got a lovely leaf marking to it. So it's more for the leaves than the flowers, for example. Um, and I've put another few bits and bobs in there. I've got some cannas. I've got some verbena binariensis. I grew some coleus from seed. So that's all along the bottom. I am really pleased with how that's taken. I, I you know, as I've mentioned, you, I know you love your exotics and you're trying to persuade me to go them. Yeah. You're not going to have to persuade me very hard because I do absolutely adore them. I love yeah. that lushness. I think... I, what I would like to do with this area that we're sitting in, it's about 40 by 40 foot. And like I say, it's predominantly it's wool-trained fruit or pot-grown fruit and veg. The vegetable garden in the spring to me looks very pleasing. You know, you've got the yeah, straight lines, fresh growth, fresh yeah. growth abundance of the, of the harvest all coming to, to the fore in, you know, from April, May onwards. But then by the autumn you do get gaps appearing or things burning out or the mildew appears doesn't it yeah. just makes everything look a little sadder in some exactly ways. but that's then now where the tropicals take over yeah. so i'm i'm quite excited to marry the two together mm. that's what i'm hoping to do so that your eye i say that i think the winter brassicas look great and the leeks look great but maybe I, with some clever placement i can get some tropicals in there as well to just extends that visual season of interest and now because we've got the greenhouse that we're sitting in i can overwinter them at last so it's all coming together well we've mentioned this before when we've mentioned greenhouses they are just such great uh buildings in your garden just to extend your gardening practice extend the year ensure you can propagate but just overwintering things as well you once i got the greenhouse at home uh, my cedar greenhouse the amount of plants that that I could grow tripled or you know quadrupled over you know just in one in one go because I can overwinter things. But 
it can also go propagate things because people always think overwintering is bring things in pots actually propagating is an essential part of overwintering yeah. because you're taking plants uh, you know things like my brugmansia for example get too big to put into my polytunnels uh, but by propagating them i know i'm going to have plants for the the year come and they'll be smaller which i can overwinter so it's an essential technique too but the greenhouse is what enables you to do all these great things so i'm really interested i know it's absolutely stuffed to the gunnels full of edibles in here is this what you're going to do next year or are you planning to try different things in here i think because of my background in uh, growing tomatoes commercially with my parents i'm always going to have tomatoes in here and they and cordons lend themselves nicely to allowing you to pack a lot of varieties into a small space you know they're, they're a great vertical gardening crop i really can't wax lyrical about cordons enough i am also going to try maybe some because we've got we haven't got any um anywhere at the moment to hang hanging baskets and i would like to integrate that into the the the, the roof area the the um the apex of the greenhouse get some we've got a metal worker close to us who's going to put some strong bars in so i can hang hanging baskets in there so I can plant them up and get them growing in the greenhouse before putting them outside. So that's something I'm going to think of doing. But I will then also grow these hanging basket tomatoes that we've been talking about, which are, to me, I've been growing a lot of tomatoes this year, cordons bush, uh, dwarf bush. The dwarf bush varieties come into cropping so quickly because they're determinate, because they haven't got to do lots of growth before they flower and fruit. So actually, you could be picking your own tomatoes if you've got the greenhouse. You might be able to start picking them in going late May, early June. So that's something I really would like to try, get some early tomatoes in here to extend the season. Um, The melons I'm going to experiment with because I do want to find a variety that crops more more reliably than some that I'm trying yeah. the the quality of the melons is lovely but the quantity I would like to try and nudge that up if I can um yeah so so that's I, I don't think it's going to change massively but what I have not done before and what I will be doing in the next few months is using this as my overwintering space yeah. you know this is the I've, I've now had a propagation season here for the spring and I rammed this full of seedlings so if you ever saw my uh, videos on twitter you might remember that this was literally cheek by jowl lots of seedlings for the spring but in the autumn i will we've got some staging and so from from my understanding of overwintering plants i i do feel that if you can get the plants into the middle of the greenhouse so they're away from the from the edge up off the floor yeah. and keep the pots dry that's the key it's, it's, it's to keep yeah. them dry isn't it and, and you, you don't want to keep them bone dry because there is a little bit of activity going over winter but it's uh, keeping them saturated just means mold rot all kinds of nasty things that will kill off the roots and that's where you want to keep going you also want to try and keep a, a sort of average median temperature in your greenhouses as well i don't know are you going to get some um, a fan heater or some kind of some we kind have of? got a fan heater because i had this for this so the setup is i've already got the heater and i've already got the bubble wrap and the clips to use but i'm mindful that I'm I'm just I've got a thermometer so I can gauge the temperature and just make sure it doesn't dip below say five degrees C yeah. and like I say keeping the plots on the drier side I I also have to be mindful of overwintering pests and yeah, diseases yeah. not I'm not at all saying that your plants have got any at all I think yours look beautifully clean but I know I've had a lot of red spider in the garden here this year on outdoor plants I've got a a morning glory uh, by the front porch which actually and and buddleia I can see they've got red spider on them now they're not going to be overwintered but I'm sensing that might be that some of the other plants have then picked up some pests and diseases that is the one thing 
you have to be careful with when you're overwintering plants in your greenhouse. If you grow it just with summer plants and then you have it empty through the winter, you can very easily break the life cycle of any pests or you can fumigate or you yeah. can sterilise and whatever you want to do because there's nothing in here. But because I'm going to be overwintering some tender lovelies in here, I do need to just be careful and be observant of the growing points and, and just make sure that I haven't got any red spider, white fly, mealybug, mm. those sorts of things. And one of the great things with tropicals, like the ginger that's right next to me, is you can just take it right down to ground. Mm. So any damaged or pest you see you can literally just take off the foliage and either burn it or, or compost it however you however you prefer but you're you're absolutely right and they what i find is the overwintering bit december january uh february is quite easy because everything's quite stable it's when you get into the march april period where you do get quite warm days and then they can be followed by very very frosty days and then your management of the greenhouse the temperature the amount of moisture you give to the plants. You'll, you'll find some plants start into growth early uh, or are kicked into growth, some aren't. So that March, April, and then deciding to bring things out in May is the trickier bit of overwintering because you've got to make a decision. Uh, and it can be a lot of the hokey-cokey. <laughs> one plant out, one plant in, shake them all about, you know. So I think you're going to find that really interesting. And it's, it's going to be a different way of using this greenhouse for you as well so i i know you've gone through what uh the sort of the main growing cycle and now you're going to do a winter cycle with it it's that's quite exciting isn't it oh yeah space, yeah so. i can't wait so so with your polytunnels obviously i'm guessing you they they don't offer you the 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 material won't offer you quite as much insulation as glass would so do you then with your polytunnels line them with bubble wrap or how do you how do you manage that i'm incredibly lucky because i've got a quite enclosed space at my really near my house so i actually find the temperatures don't change too dramatically they actually stay at quite level uh my greenhouse is a lean-to against my actual house so actually the house's latent heat actually keeps it from ever going uh, ever getting frosted but yes i know there's a, and i think you might have to here because you're a relatively distance away from the house you might have to insulate and i think most people insulate not so much to try and keep the temperatures going it's so that they don't have to heat so much because the one thing you will find uh, uh, like a 240 watt fan heater sucks through electricity and um you'll find you'll have quite expensive electricity bills yeah <laughs> yeah i know i know that's that is it's 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 this, the hit you have to take for having a greenhouse and wanting to use it in the winter. So I will try to make sure that I my fuel bills don't go through the roof. It's just part of it, part of the the life of uh, having such a beautiful space, isn't well, it? Exactly, exactly. So uh, one of the plants that I'm quite amazed at in this greenhouse, Lucy, is um, a gift I gave you back in January, and he's still here. It's uh, it's I don't know whether we should name him. It's a shark's fin melon, Cucurbita uh, physifolia. It's just been sitting here all summer. It's just too beautiful to cut into. It's a, be- it's a very beautiful fruit, but it hasn't rotted. There's no soft spots. The stalk is still intact. You obviously grew it well. Well, I don't know if I grew it well or I injected it with something because it's like it's been, um, you know, kept in aspic. It's just, I wonder how long it'll get. I'm very 
excited to see how long it'll go well, for. Well, this is what I'm going to do. Uh, I am going to just leave it. And as soon as it starts decaying, I will get in there and I will save the seeds because I very much want to grow this this plant. Because mm. uh, we, we saw some at uh, High Tall yesterday and they are beasts. They are massive big things. Yeah, they'll take over most of this garden, I suspect. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to bear that in mind. Matt had two plants growing in a three by eight bed and uh, it was full, absolutely full. So I, I'm lucky I have got the space here down the bottom of the garden to grow the the, uh, the shark's fin melon. But for the minute, I am, as I say, I'm just going to sit and wait and see. My presumption is that as it gets colder in here, that it's, something's going to happen to it. There'll be, I think the skin is, it's got a few little knocks on it now, and that might be where a, a, a rot starts. It usually starts. goes at the top where the stalk connects okay. to the thing. It sort of rots and then it sort of pits itself out and then the whole thing sort of, just dissolves and it's not very you got to get it in the compost seat before it dissolves because it's not a very pretty pretty site but this one i have none left at stonelands from last year so this one must be a very or well, there's something happening in this part of essex that we don't we don't know about <laughs> there's some strange gases around but it's over a year old now isn't it, it or pretty much be. it's having it's almost it's having yeah, its year well, if i think about it when i harvested them last year and the ones at stonelands are there now yeah so it must be almost happy a year birthday old. little thing let's give you a snap and a cuddle Happy birthday. <laughs> anyway, that brings me to the end of my uh, my lovely visit up to Essex. Thank you for having me, Lucy. I've my had a lovely pleasure. weekend. Um, you're going to find that the podcasts that we've recorded at both uh, Altingwick and High Tall are going to come out in the next two weeks. So hopefully uh, you'll enjoy those. Look out for them. I think they'll be the next two weekends. Uh, we've got interviews with Philippa Burrow, who owns Alting. We also visited Matt Oliver, who's been on the podcast before, to have a bit more of a talk about the global growth veg garden. And then we also met up with uh, uh, one of the stalwarts, one of the icons of horticulture, Peter Seabrook, who I know is a big friend of yours, yeah. Lucy. And we're going to actually have an extended bonus interview with him that probably is going to come out later in the year. So look out for that as well. We've reached the end of today's episode and we sincerely hope that you found it informative and entertaining. If you'd like to leave us a review via your podcast provider, we'd be delighted to know your thoughts. While many aspects of the garden year are behind us, there are still plenty of horticultural milestones to mark. So Saul and myself are eager to bring you yet more valuable episodes of the Talking Heads podcast. We're also keen to visit those iconic gardens, large and small, of our peers and friends. With this in mind, you can look forward to an autumn packed full of interviews, road trips, practical advice, and of course, mine and Lucy's opinions on all manner of wide-ranging horticultural topics. We want to ensure that our listeners are kept up to date with what any self-respecting head gardener needs to know. So, until the next episode of Talking Heads... Goodbye! Goodbye!